You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, welcome once again to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. I am Dave Griffiths, joined by Mike Chappell and Joe Hopkins. Some recent Colts news to get down. I mean, the NFL offseason always seems to give us things, as we say every week, but... But here we are yet again, some mini-camp buzz, some mini-camp news for the horseshoes. We'll break down some AFC South roster turnover. Last week, we just focused on draft classes and how we thought that uh, really was an improvement in certain ways or not in certain ways to the Colts' AFC South rivals. But there will we'll widen our scope this week to take a look at the entire roster turnover from the Texans, the Titans, and the Jaguars. Uh, But first, we do start with uh, news uh, coming out of us right here in Indianapolis. And we'll start off with the uh, leading sack man in Colts history. Robert Mathis will be inducted into the franchise's Ring of Honor. And that will come on November 28th when Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are inside Lucas Oil Stadium. Mike, as if people didn't have any more reason to uh, to want to come and see the Colts take on Tom Brady uh, the fans in attendance at Lucas Oil will also get to see Robert Mathis join the greatest the franchise has ever had up in the team's ring of honor. Yeah, what's going to be funny is what I wonder what the penalty is if Robert Mathis comes off the field and or off the sidelines and sacks Tom Brady during the game. But uh, yeah, that, that's one where I think Tom Brady's always considered Mathis one of the guys that you better know where he is. Uh, th- th- this is well deserved. Too bad it was delayed a year because of the pandemic. But uh, Mathis going in was a no-brainer. A- again, uh, Joe's mentioned the stats, and you, and you flashed through him the 123 sacks, franchise record. And, and he's got he's got the, the NFL record on, on both forced fumbles at 54 and also sacks off or uh, sacks forced fumbles. It's like 47. This is, ev- this is everybody, uh, league record. So uh, it, it's kind of it, it's appropriate he's going in after – Dwight Freeney, and this will maybe if we get a slow time around November twenty eighth is who's next. It's always interesting to me is who who do you put in next? And you know I it's a hill I plan on dying on. That Tariq Glenn's rear end needs to be up in the Ring of Honor, and until it is, I'll have issues. And also, and it could be a decent segment for us is when will they go back and put in pre-Peyton Manning Colts in the Ring of Honor. There was football in Indy before Peyton Manning. Just not as good. There were still good players. So I, uh, it's a really, really interesting conversation. And it's easy to forget that they did play football before 1998 in Indianapolis. Peyton was uh, quite the uh, exclamation point, though, during, Correct. during no his question. time. Certain, of course. Um, but uh, I'm sure that's in the back of Jim Irsay's mind. You, you don't have to preach to him. Uh, that football existed here beforehand. It's it's more so like it's it certainly uh, obviously you talk about just the dollars and cents of it. It is something that is also appealing to the fans. It's something that's important for the franchise as a whole, obviously. But uh, it's something that uh, that gets people to want to come out and gets people to want to uh, spend time inside the stadium. And not that that'll be a problem. I don't think at all this year with um, with fans being able to return. I, I'd imagine that it'll be uh, it'll be quite full from start to finish, as much as it's allowed to be. And uh, and all that, but um, but Joe, you, you you got Robert Mathis on one side, you had Dwight Free on the other. That was that was a heck of a heck of a pairing, and and, and as Mike said, it's certainly uh, certainly fitting 
that uh, that he'll go up right after, at least as right after as it could be with the pandemic, um, his his partner in crime there. It was a great pairing. And I mean, boy, was I spoiled growing up with the Colts with Mathis and Freeney. And they're they're still looking for a pair of edge rushers like they had with Mathis and Freeney. They've they've had a few veterans come in and give some good years, but they haven't been able to nail that guy in the draft that comes in as a long term stud. Uh, sack artists at defensive end hopefully they picked a couple good ones in this pack past draft that can do that but man if they even get close to Freenier Mathis's level um that would be quite the accomplishment Mathis one, is one, a, one, 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 one thing Dave is I remember uh, talking to the J- late John Turlink one of the all-time all-time great pass rush coaches uh, and he was here during their heyday coaching these guys I said if you had to pick one which would you pick he said, that's like asking me to choose which of my kids I like better. He, he would never tell me. So I, it's just always an interesting debate on if you could only have one, which one would you want? I, I might lean more towards Freeney j- just because. But then you look at what Mathis did coming out of, what, round five, arguably the best late-round pick they've had here uh, in, in all the years. But uh, like Joe said, that to have that, as much as Manning and Harrison and James and Reggie and all this were instrumental, that defense, you got the lead on that carpet in Indy, and it was just almost unfair. And like Joe said, that's what they're trying to recapture with Dio and Quiddy, and we'll see if they've come close to it. And I, Mike, I know two years ago when Dwight Freeney was uh, put up in the Ring of Honor, we, we touched on this topic, really got into it in depth, so we don't need to right now. I'd encourage you to go back. You can always look in our archives wherever you get podcasts for the Coles Blue Zone podcast, find some old discussions like this one. But uh, this, the discussion was focused on uh, on future Hall of Fame credentials. And obviously that's a some, a topic that will come up for you, being the uh, the presenter for the Colts uh, up there with the, uh, the, the committee and uh, having a vote on it. But... Um, Mathis, when you present Robert Mathis for, uh, for Hall of Fame uh, consideration, uh, I- I'm sure it's those forced fumbles that, that you really have to focus on. If you lead the league in this, in strip sacks and forced fumbles, whenever somebody's number one in NFL history, that's got to raise some eyebrows and get people to pay attention, I would think, even if other set stats aren't quite up on the same level or right on kind of the cusp of the level of, of being a Hall of Famer. When you lead the league in something as important as strip sacks, that's something people have to pay attention to. Yeah, it's like interceptions. It's, you, it's, you're looking for the disruptive plays, the game-changing plays, and you could argue that, that aside from a, a botched punt or a botched uh, kickoff, a, a strip sack on, by the defense is just such a monster play. And uh, this is, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, I'm not in that mode yet, but I'm pretty sure this is Robert Mathis's first year of eligibility. So hopefully we'll get him in the room or advance that way. The The issue is, is, is that sacks have, have sort of got, I don't want to say watered down, but it, unless you've got the entire resume, which Robert does with the Pro Bowls, where he led the league in sacks one year, he got the Super Bowl. You know, Jared, Jared Allen had to wait a long time. Yep. Several several years to get in. He had 140 or 150 sacks. So, and, and will people, it's kind of like the Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne dilemma. D- 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 does the presence of each player hurt the other guy? So will, will the fact that Freedy and Mathis played together? I think Freedy is eligible next year, I believe. 
but standalone, these guys were two of the absolute best. And and maybe sacks are should be up a little bit because of how much the league's passing. But at the same but at the same time, teams went into Colts games knowing that we've got to know where ninety three and ninety eight were. They, they they had targets on them. Yeah, but despite that, they they found ways. And I saw the NFL or NFL films or somebody put out a all-time Sunday night, was it, primetime games on NBC or whatever it was, and one was Peyton Manning's return to Indy. Mm-hmm. If you remember that. And my lasting memory of that game is Robert Mazza's turning the game away with the blindside sack of Peyton Manning because he always talked all through the years that the problem with having Peyton Manning on your team is you couldn't hit him. Hmm. So he finally got the chance to hit him, and he turned the game around. More news from the Colts this week. They also signed kicker Eddie Pinheiro to a one-year contract. Uh, Pinheiro's a 25-year-old, used to play for the Bears. Uh, Missed last season with a groin injury. Um, Had a fairly good season with the Bears last time he was on the uh, the field. 23 of 28 field goal attempts. He kicked from 53 yards out. Was 27 of 29 extra points as well. So, Eddie Pinheiro, this is just official this week. I think we might have uh, hit on this last week in the podcast, but it's certainly some competition for Rodrigo Blankenship, uh, who, who by all by all accounts, had a good good year last year as well. But, uh, Chap, I think you, you just d- described it best last week, saying there were just a couple of head-scratchers. They were from a short distance. They were like 33 yards, 35 yards that just shanked, especially you look at the one in the Bears game, not the Bears game, the Bills game in the playoffs, rather. So uh, in order to just foster competition there, uh, this is this is not just a, a veteran you bring in as a as a leg in camp. This this does seem to be more of a more of a competition to either light a fire under uh, under hot rod, uh, so to speak, as uh, as the Colts get ready for the season. Yeah, the one thing that Chris Ballard's always preached from the day he got here was competition. At every, I mean, they used to bring in kickers with Venetari, but that was like you said, it was a camp. It was to keep your kicker fresh. This is different. I I don't think that they soured on Hot Rod at all. Not at all. But but it just never hurts to have competition to to make sure there's no I don't know slippage or complacency. It was crazy. Whenever we're watching practice during the season last year, length was never an issue. He he he, he just he showed you a strong leg. But I'm looking here. He was one for three on 50 yarders and he missed uh two he missed four kicks from 40 out which you know from 40 to 49 you should be more on target and four of his five is crazy four of his five misses hit iron i mean the crossbar of the uprights and a 33 yarder against buffalo it i realize it's holding a player to a high standard because you're gonna have a miss occasionally but at that point in the game, it was a close game, and I think they were down, I don't know if they were down seven or whatever it was, and he misses a 33-yarder off the uprights, and then Buffalo comes to that down and scores. You just can't, there are, there are misses you just can't afford to miss, and that was one. But th- th- this is about competition. It's about making sure everybody is held to a high standard. And, uh, you know, it, it's, there's no question this is Blankenship's job to lose. No question about that but it never hurts to bring in competition, never. The Colts also wrapped up their signing, uh, the sign by signing their last two draft uh, members of the draft class, uh, tight end Kylan Granson and Sam Ellinger. 
Um, under the NFL's rookie wage scale that Joe has listed here, uh, Grant has a four-year deal, $4.2 million or so. Ellinger, four-year deal, uh, $3.6 million or so. So uh, so that's all, all set in stone. And uh, we, we remember when, when that used to be a thing, when signing draft picks used to be uh, uh, more of a challenge. It's, it's not so much anymore, obviously, since... Um, I don't know, the past 10, 15 years, whenever uh, whenever that Sam Bradford uh, year after that, because I, I always remember Sam being the last one, the number one overall pick, uh, the year that he just got paid uh, out of the uh, uh, crazy amount um, as a, a number one overall pick rookie quarterback. But uh, but anyway, uh, I digress. As the Colts are, Colts are now finished signing all their rookies there, they're good to go for camp, which is a short camp, as we said. And uh, uh, Joe, you, you put a little little quote in here: the uh, the Jack Doyle being impressed with Kyle and Granson so far, talking about his smooth route running, some football knowledge there as well. And and that has to bring me to to the point that I'll I'll make uh, until I'm blue in the face that they, I this is the worst time of the year for listening to teams or players talking about draft picks because it's all oh it's great we, we love it. he's really impressed so far so so the the headline comes out colt's impressed with kylan granson tight end and it's like oh okay what, what do you want him to say number one number two like they haven't faced really any significant adversity yet I, i'm not i'm not trying to rip on jack doyle or the colts or anybody for saying this i'm just not but at the same time, I don't know. Maybe I'm getting old and get, being get off my lawn guy here. But I'm like, well, what what what's the benefit of this? Well, what, what what do we actually learn? And, and like th- th- this time of year is not to not to I don't think talk anybody up, especially any rookies. It, it, it's to, it's to get them in. It's to get them acclimated. You really can't make any obviously, uh, what's it called? Any really um, conclusions about their ability. Uh, for for quite some time, so like like I said, that rant over. But uh, I just I just needed to get that rant out of my system. The, the the only news would be is if you talked to Ballard or Reich and they said, you know, I don't know what we saw in his third round pick. Yeah, this guy can't play. He can't find his way to the meeting room, and you're never going to hear that. But you're right, and that's not what you're saying. It's not criticizing Jack because he's asked a question. It's it's what did you expect you were going to get. And much of the time when we talk to these players on Zoom, it's it's if you're not careful, you're going to get that. Well, he looked pretty good, and he'll lift the team and all this stuff. So, but you're right. This, this is over hype time. Uh, you, you're just that's why I'm more interested in talking to veterans coming back, Kenny Moore and a veteran Jonathan Taylor hmm. on how things look, and a Marlon Mack, and we, we'll get Carson Wentz next week. But the young guys. The only news would be it's if, if a coach says, this guy can't play. We wasted, you know, Chris Ballard, hey, he does a great job, but they whiffed on this guy. Everybody, you know, did the, it's, it's like, did the Colts address their offseason needs in the draft? Yeah, they did, except for tackle. And then they get that with, with, with Eric Fisher. But they addressed him with, with bodies. And you hope that the bodies that they put out there are the right ones. And we won't know until training camp. Oh, but fellas, it's so much fun to hear. It's like junk food. You know, it's not substantial. It's not good for you, but you keep reaching back in the bag for another chip. I I, I know it, it doesn't mean anything so far, but Kylan Granson, you know, it's about the best quote I got on any of these rookies so far. And right. uh, I, I just can't wait. I'm looking forward to seeing him on the field. I think he's going to be a faster uh 
Trey Burton once he gets acclimated. So I'm looking forward to it, and I think a lot of Colts fans are too. Oh, totally. Yeah, and I'm not trying to criticize you either for putting this putting this in there. Like I, I'm very much looking forward to seeing seeing Colin Granson, um, and especially seeing how he can grow from from week one to probably week 17 of this year, or week 18, I guess it would be uh, this year, or the playoffs if you yeah. can get that far. So, like you, you certainly, I, I anticipate if he if he progresses as uh, the Colts will want him to. It's probably around the time week week six or week eight, you know, that that they'll really start to ramp him up. I think in terms of what he can do on the offense, they'll give him very limited stuff at the beginning, and then open it as as the year goes on. So, like, I, I totally, I'm totally uh, in on on Kylan Granson and seeing what what they uh, what Frank Reich wants to do with him. But uh, at the same time, I, I'm not taking anything from anything <laughs> anyone says about what he is able to do right now. So we, I, I tell you, one thing I remember is from training camp last year, the one player that you just couldn't not notice was Trey Burton. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, he was, he, you thought he was a receiver cause he's not, he wasn't very big, but he was always making plays and always in the right spot. And then he had an injury at the end of, the, of camp. I think it was or preseason and it slowed him, slowed him down. But they really think that Granson's is, is an upgrade for he's obviously he's younger. But they think he, he, he's more polished because, remember, uh, Trey Burton moved from quarterback to tight end. Maybe it's quarterback to receiver and it's tight end. To, I don't remember the progression. But Granson's, Granson's been a receiver. So he, he's further along in his development. And I tell you, this is one where everybody is singing his praises from Ballard. Frank Reich loves the guy. This is a guy he really loved in the draft. And they will find ways. I don't think it's going to take six to eight weeks. I think they're going to find ways to incorporate this guy early. And if, if, you know, knock on wood, injuries stay away with the receiver core. And we had a great talk with Paris Campbell uh, yesterday, the day before, whatever it was. And he, he might be the guy that would slow Granson's contributions because of the slot, working out of the slot, if everybody else is healthy. But this receiver core, it's not over the top, you know, wow with, you know, there's no Julio Jones or, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I saw somebody had that. Was it the athletic head that the Colts would be one of the nice landing points? I don't, I'd love it. But cap doesn't work, and the cap's got to work. But I, I, I do think this is a very, very interesting receiving core, and Granson is – was is the missing piece and it, it, it's like we have to kind of mention every time we talk about adding a Granson or a Burton this is not a knock at Jack Doyle it's simply not it's this guy does something at the position that Jack Doyle doesn't and Jack Doyle does things that Granson will never do ever at the position that they're both tight ends sort of you know we were talking to Chris Bauer last week about well you know Grants is not a great blocker and all that. Well, that's that's fine. That's not what they're going to ask him to do. There'll, there'll be occasion when he's got to, you know, get in there and block. But but Jack Doyle is such a value to this team. Incredible. I think he's one of the all-time great stories for the Colts. Remember, this is a guy that was sent home by the Tennessee Titans in what was it 2013 uh, at the end of the uh, uh, when they were making cuts, and he gets a call from the Colts who picked him up. This guy has signed two free agent contracts. That's ridiculous. That's just, it's just so rare. But Granson is different. 
he, he's the he's the the move guy that can get downfield, and if their receiver rotation allows it, he will make plays. I just want to see how they work him in there along with Paris Campbell. If Paris Campbell, knock on wood, can stay healthy. And uh, Jack Doyle, now uh, you bring him up, so I'll, I'll, I'll add a stat that I saw this week: him being the uh, the second longest tenured Colt now, uh, trailing only T. Y. Hilton. I don't know if that was you that tweeted that out, chap, but somebody did. They've got so. they're going into the season with only five players thirty and above. That that's really they, I saw a stat they were like the fourth or fifth youngest team. It's kind of hard to do that now because with ninety man rosters, sixty percent are like rookies. Yep. But they, they've got five guys 31 and above. T.Y. Hilton, Jack Doyle, both 31, Xavier Rhodes, T.J. Carey, and Eric Fisher. That's it. I mean, the days of Adam Vinatieri and Philip Rivers and, you know, on of Costanzo, uh, this, is a, this is a relatively a young team, which bodes well for obviously for the future. I remember, Joe, when Vinatieri just killed the curve on that stat every year. The Colts were like the third or fourth youngest team in those early ballad years, but Adam Vinatieri was like 87, so they would have been the youngest team w- w- without him on the roster. He's that, he's that guy He's that guy that, remember, in class when your teacher's graded on the curve. Yeah. And there was one nerd guy who was A++++ who took the curve out of whack. But, yeah, you're right. That's, that's, that's not the case now because this is a young team, but there was always – the Colts always had uh, Matt Hasselbeck played, you know, a long time. So it, it, you got one or two guys, but this is a pretty when you when Jack Doyle and T.Y. Hilton are your oldest players, you've got a young team. Some compromise between the Colts and management of the franchise has resulted in the cancellation of three-day mandatory minicamp in June. Instead, there'll be two le- two weeks of light work that began just this past week. Um, Joe, this is uh, something that is kind of the, the result of uh, the NFL expanding to a 17-game season. And uh, we heard a little bit from Ryan Kelly. I, I'll let you kind of fill in the details of, of what I've missed here. Yeah, they're kind of canceling a three-day mandatory minicamp in June. Um, and they're doing a two-week light work, like practice um, that started on Monday. So two weeks starting from this past Monday here. Uh, no helmets, no offense versus defense, just kind of a lot of individual drills. Um, you know, quarterbacks getting used to uh, uh, the wide receivers, things like that, and just kind of installing the offense and defense a little bit, but not really a lot of high-intensity stuff, just kind of getting their feet wet, uh, so to speak. So um, Ryan Kelly, who's the Colts player representative for the NFLPA, said it's kind of the best both worlds. Frank Wright seemed happy about it. He said, I'm confident we'll get a lot of work done in this two weeks. So it seems like a pretty good deal. I mean, I know some players on some teams were saying, we're not showing up for this and that. Uh, The Colts kind of seemed to work with management in this situation. Yeah, Mike, I I think that uh, obviously Frank Reich would like as much time with his players as possible. And and to be frank, I was, to be frank, (laughs) uh, play on words, uh, completely unintended. But uh, anyway, to, to be honest, uh, I, I think that I was surprised when when this decision kind of came down between the Colts and management because you don't see honestly a lot of things go players' way in negotiations when you're talking about the NFL. That that's different when you talk about other major sports leagues. But I just see things so much more going the owner's way or the league's way when it comes to back and forth between the players and, and the ownership. But uh, the Colts get 
a significantly lighter workload here in the summer, and they don't have to come back for mandatory camp later in June. I, I've got no one would comment on it, but I just get a feeling that had Frank and Kelly and, and the other players not come to an agreement, the Colts would have been one of those teams to only shoot. They, they would have shown up in June. I, I, I really believe that had they not struck this deal where they're in town this week and next week, and that's it, I think the, the result would have been no Colts players in town until the June uh, mandatory minicamp. I, I just I had that vibe from talking to to Frank and and really from talking to uh, to Ryan Kelly. So y- yes, it was a, it was a, it was a uh, sort of an agreement and, and this was a middle ground I think. But I just really believe that the that the players are really really dug in to where less is more. And I asked Frank this the other day about. Coaches want more, more, more. I mean, you can't there, – there's not a coach, head coach, position coach, coordinator who believes two weeks of off-season work is enough. Or well, should I, there be, yeah. They're, they're, oh, right. Uh, and, and so I think this will be the format going forward. I think the players, when they can, they will try to get less time. And, but then the flip side is, is in Joe can tell me, I, 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 the guy's name escapes me, the Denver offensive tackle, who blew out his Achilles. Uh, yeah, Juwan James. Right. He blows out his Achilles working on his own. So he loses whatever it was, 10 or $20 million, because it's a non-football injury. Uh, so so here's one where you've got the union saying, you know, do do as much work as possible on your own away from the team complex. But when you do that, you lose protection of, of being injured on team on the team's dime, so to speak. You know, maybe the, the NFLPA ought to consider, you know, urge these players to work out on their own. And if you get hurt, maybe the NFLPA can, can pay these guys because you're the ones lobbying to have players stay away. And then the player does it and unfortunately has a significant injury that will probably cost him his season. So where's the protection? But I, but I think this is going to be uh, the trend going forward. Uh, you know, players bitch and moaned about the 17th game. Well, they negotiated that. That, that was they, they allowed that to happen. Right. So now, so so now I really I really think this this is going to be the trend going forward. Where maybe you get two weeks. But to go back to my point, I really am convinced with no quotable proof that had they not reached this middle ground that Frank and his staff would have had these players for three days in June and that would not have been enough. Mike, I think it was uh, the quote that you've brought up from Edger and James in the past, something like, I may not have graduated from Miami, but I know what voluntary means. Correct. (laughs) And and I tell you, of all of his quotes, uh, that's the one. Now, he he was a veteran that that came for like – the first week of the offseason work, then he was gone. Then he, then he would come back for the for the mandatory minicamp. Right. But he was he was sort of an exception, I think, because I went down there one time when he's doing his rehab on his knee. Would have been in two thousand and two thousand two offseason, maybe. And he works his butt off. I mean, I'm telling you, the guys at, at the University of Miami. Edger and Reggie and all those guys. Ed Reed. 
I, I went down there for Frank one of Gore. Ed, yeah, I went down there for one of Edron's workouts, and it was all these NFL players. Yeah, and, and they worked. So the issue now, moving forward, let, let's say these teams get two weeks for players moving forward. It's probably not going to hurt veteran guys. How is this going to delay the development of your rookie class of, of Quiddy Pay, who, who who's just trying to get his feet wet? And you talk to players now, Jonathan Taylor, where last year early on, things are new to you. You're just trying to learn, and, and what you're doing, you're reacting. You're sort of reacting to what you see. You're, you're a little hesitant, and this is going to make it even more so to where it, it, things will be new to you in training camp at the start of the season. So, so maybe you, I think the ones this will, this will hurt development-wise are the young players, but it's really going to be incumbent upon the coaching staff, and they will. The Colts do a really good job. Is sending these players home next week with with sort of structured, tailored workouts to what you do, the Forrest Buckner position, Pacific, Zach Pascal. So it's going to really you just can't go go to the gym four days a week and you know do your cardio and all that. You've got to somehow incorporate uh, football specific drills and the smart players, the really smart players will do that. Uh, Darius Leonard told us he's been working out in Tampa. Uh, Yo Murphy, apparently it's a big Yo Murphy performance uh, company down in Tampa. And that's where you're going to see players really kind of flocking to go to places that work on your trade, work on, you know, it's, it's, hey, it's great to go to the track and run and all that stuff, but you need, you need position-specific drills and training, and that's what they'll get. But to think the players can just kind of go again, go to the track for four days, you know, for two for two months, and then go to training camp, it's a fallacy because you're going to have guys not ready, and you're going to have guys whose bodies might not be ready to where you're having injuries that you wouldn't have had you had more time with the team. Well, you bring up Darius Leonard, Mike, and we got to speak with the maniac this week as well. Uh, of course, the big thing uh, on the horizon for him would be an expected extension coming sometime this offseason. Uh, Darius himself says he is hopeful uh, that things get settled in that extension. Um, says they take value in me, and hopefully that will show. Uh, Joe, I'm pretty sure it will show. I don't think there's much hopeful uh, in there, but uh, you, you put a couple of contracts here from uh, different linebackers in the NFL, so uh, I'll let you break them down and see uh, see those two guys, two guys who we've been who we've compared Darius Leonard to in the past and just see what kind of uh, money we're talking about when the Colts do uh, sign Darius Leonard for a longer term deal yeah I kind of stole this from uh, Mike's article here you can read the whole thing on fox59.com and cbs4indy.com but um, back in July 2019 the Seattle Seahawks gave Bobby Wagner who for many years was considered the best linebacker in the NFL a three-year 54 million dollar extension which works out to roughly $18 million per season. And then uh, that same offseason, 2019, this was in March, but the New York Jets signed C.J. Mosley to a five-year, $85 million contract, which works out to about $17 million uh, per year average, which is about what Darius will probably get, maybe a little more, just because as the years go on, players tend to reset the market. Uh, maybe it'll be $19, 20000000 million. And I think he's worth it. He's not just a great player, but he's kind of the emotional leader of that defense, the heart and soul, so to speak. The, um, the you know, he leads by example, but he's also brings so much energy to that defense as well. If you remove him, 
I, I think the defense will just be obviously lacking something. So I, I do think a deal will get done with Darius and um, – you know, hopefully for his sake, sooner rather than later. And Mike, can we talk about what sets Darius apart from other guys, even elite players like Bobby Wagner and C.J. Mosley is, I think, his versatility in the sense that, yeah, he's a tackling machine, but he can also go out there and get you um, four interceptions in a year. He can also go out and get you five sacks in a year. He's going to get you probably three to four forced fumbles as well, and you see numbers creeping up like that. Even great linebackers like Bobby Wagner and C.J. Mosley, they might have a year like that, but they're certainly not consistent like that. And Darius has shown a good consistency in those big-time plays that we talked about Robert Mathis making during his career for the Colts. Darius Leonard's one of those guys that will make those game-changing plays. So that's why he deserves a contract that is just as good, if not maybe even a little touch better than some of these guys. It's crazy. When you talk about linebackers, you're, invariably you talk about tackles. He's a tackle machine. 14, 15, Leonard had 19, what was it, his... Second game against the Redskins. Against the Redskins. They were the Redskins. Uh, Against against Washington. Washington Washington football team. Uh, (laughs) And a lot of times, you'll come away from a game and a guy will have 14 tackles and say, you know, I really don't remember many of them. But with Darius, after three years, I mean, three or four or five plays just pop into your mind. You know, the the, the strip sack against uh, the Raiders. Was it his rookie year uh, when, mm-hmm. when they were in the track meet with the Raiders? And then, you know, Houston Houston beats them here if Darius doesn't poke the, yeah. poke the ball away at the goal line. so And they don't make the playoffs. Correct. Yep. So it, that that's, again, we can talk about 53-player rosters and everybody's accountable and all this stuff. This is about getting guys who make plays, who make a difference. And when you get them, you keep them, and when you keep them, you pay them. So not only will Darius get his, but but Brandon Brandon Smith's going to get his. Braden Smith, I'm sorry, he's going to get his, and he's going to get. I was looking at the numbers; it's going to be fourteen or fifteen million dollars a year. Yep. Because because these are both young players. Uh, we talked uh, when we got Chris Ballard last week. We also got Mike Bloom, their cap guru, and it, it's it, it's it, it's his job to somehow make these contracts work. And this is gonna, they got to be creative because I think right now they're roughly $13, $14 million under the salary cap, which sounds like a lot of money, and it's not. The teams always carry 6 or $7 million of cap space into a season because you never know injuries and signing players. So somehow you've got to work on extensions that are going to be top of the market or close to top of the market at linebacker and right tackle. And this team traditionally with Ballard has not given signing bonuses. You know, the way that works without getting too deep into the weeds, signing bonus you can stretch over the course of a contract. Give a guy $10 million for five years, it's $2 million a year towards the cap. Well, these guys normally give roster bonuses, which count, you know, like a $10 million where it's all up front so that if something goes wrong, you don't have dead money. They've got to be creative this year, I think, with, with these two players. And maybe Naheem Hines. He may have to wait, unfortunately. But you've got to, you've got to take into account that you, you, you've got to only so much cap space this year. And, you, you know, the cap you can do a lot of things with, but you still have to be cap compliant. You still have to be under the cap. So I, I could see a, a signing bonus for these two guys and then maybe guaranteed money later on, guarantee some base salaries the next two or three years to compensate because you just can't give a guy an extension, but you've got to give him money up front. You've got to 
gives him money in his hand, whether it's a roster bonus, whether it's a signing bonus. So these will get done in June. I'm confident they'll get creative. Uh, this is a, the latest example of Chris Ballard putting a, putting the owner's money where, where his mouth is. With we pay, we want to draft our own, develop our own, and, and sign our own, which he's done in the past. Jack Doyle twice, Ryan Kelly, on and on, and these will be two groundbreaking contracts that they will get done because they have to get done. Paris Cam, oh, sorry, go ahead, Joe. Go ahead. Before I was just going to say, because of the fifth-year option, you think Quentin Nelson is more next summer? Correct. He's going to get he, he gets like thirteen million next year because of that option. Yeah, it, correct. Yeah, yeah, because of the all pros, his his uh, fifth-year option is pretty hefty. Correct. Well, it'll be even heftier in the long term for sure. So. I, I, and I tell you, that, that's another great will be a great uh, program. How high is up with Quentin Nelson? And you know his his agent's going to say. We think he needs to be the highest paid offensive lineman, lineman, yep. and the Colts are going to say, "Well, he's a guard." No, we, we say so. That's going to be really, really interesting. Is how high is up for Quentin Nelson? Because barring injury, he'll be a four-time first-team All-Pro uh, going into his fifth year. Yeah, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. I think, Correct. which will uh, come plenty, plenty next year. But um, for now, as the Colts center uh, this twenty twenty one season, they hope to have Paris Campbell back, uh, saying he's a hundred percent healthy. As we spoke to him this week, the new number one for the Colts taking over the mantle from Pat McAfee. Of course, um, injuries have limited Paris to nine games, only twenty four receptions in his two seasons. A second round pick two years ago. Of course, you put uh, Chris Ballard under the microscope when uh, they take Paris Campbell in front of guys like D.K. Metcalf, who's had a great career, Terry McLaurin, who is his teammate at Ohio State, and also from Indianapolis Cathedral High School, who's had a great young career so far. Paris, when he's healthy, is dangerous, guys, and it's been a frustrating two years from him, admittedly so. But we, we know the potential that he has uh, when he's on the field. And, uh, Mike, the Colts are certainly hoping that Campbell can provide some uh, some spark that uh, has been missing at times in this offense uh, looking ahead. Yeah, it's really going to be a strange dynamic because this is a player that, as if I'm Frank Reich, I'm really trying to design my offense with the fact that Campbell will be heavily involved. Yet how can you plan on that when he's not stayed on the field? So I, do, do you just bank on the fact he's going to be there and – then if not, you, you, you adjust. I, I, I assume that's how you do it. But what's crazy is when he's been out there, he's shown you flashes, but they've just been flashes. Had a really strong game against the Steelers, I think as a rookie. And, and then uh, last year in the opener against Jacksonville, he really showed things that he can do. And in the second game of the season, here at home against the Vikings, I think it was the Colts' first or second offensive play. Yep, it was early. He takes that sweep, and and he gets hit on the knee. Uh, and I asked Campbell about how you how do you prepare to avoid injuries that simply come from playing a violent sport. These aren't persistent hamstring or calf injuries, soft tissues. These are, it's a broken hand, it's a broken foot, it's hernia surgery that he, I think really went back to his Ohio State days. Uh, and this is and this guy. Remember last year in training camp, he misses a day or two because he was in an auto accident and he, and he got a concussion. Yeah. So, so I mean, you're thinking, holy, holy smokes! But Paris Campbell might be 
the outside of Carson Wentz, everything is Carson Wentz. But of all the players, this is the guy that could really, really take this offense to another level because of what he brings to it. Uh, and he, he's healthy. He said he's being cleared. One reason he said he switched to one is it, it, it is a new start. And he said, number one, makes you look faster. He was already at the combine, uh, was it in 2020? He was 4-3-1, which was the fastest of receivers and third fastest at the combine. Uh, so uh, this is a guy that you just stay healthy. And he, you're going to be following him every game. Get up, you know, go back to the huddle. And you're sort of going to cross your fingers because I tell you, We've talked to this guy. Now it's on Zoom. It's not as well. But we talked to him in the locker room. This is a good kid. This is a guy who does things the right way. He approaches it the right way. And he wants to be really good. And it's been one thing after another. And maybe he's got it out of his system. But Paris Campbell could really take this offense to another level. Yeah, Joe, I think it might be unfair to call him injury prone, like Mike was saying. I mean, it's not like soft tissue injuries that keep creeping up year after year. It's a concussion because you're in an accident. It's somebody wrecking your knee in um, in week two of the season. Um, then the first one might have been something that left over from his Ohio State days, which was a legitimate injury. But um, in, until you're healthy, until you can put together a stretch of the season, until you can play 14, 16, 17 games in a season – you're going to continually get that moniker. So Paris Campbell, it's obviously a huge season for him, for his career, and he could be he could be a serious X factor in this offense and what they're able to accomplish. Yeah, I mean, you just go back to the Jacksonville opener last year. He had over a hundred yards from scrimmage between receiving and rushing. He, he he was he looked like he was on his way to lead the Colts in receiving last year. I know it was just one game, but how much he was involved, he looked fantastic. And then he gets hit in the knee, and I, you just knew immediately. He grabs for the knee right away, and you go, there goes Paris Campbell. Um, hopefully he can stay healthy this year. I don't know who he crossed that put some kind of a hex on him, but hopefully hmm. the hex has expired at this point, or the new number will nullify the hex. Um, but he, Mike is 100% right. A healthy Paris Campbell takes this receiving group to a whole other level. It gives it something they don't have without him. I mean, he was talking about drawing up plays for Paris Campbell. There's not a similar player on the roster he could put in that role if Paris Campbell is gone. I mean, Ashton Doolin is not up for the task of a Paris Campbell, even though he's also a fast player. So, health. I mean, I've been, you know, I'm already doing my fantasy mock drafts over here, and I get to the late rounds, I'm like, you guys know how much I love Michael Pittman Jr., and it's hmm. a tough time between him and Paris Campbell because I think they're both going to be extremely good if healthy, but that if is pretty big with Paris. I'm telling you, I think T.Y. Hilton could slip a little bit in drafts this year, too, if uh, Carson Wentz and him can hook up a little bit if he gets that. Because let's be honest. Let's be honest. Philip Rivers did not have the arm last year that he had five, seven years ago as he was going deep with guys like Vincent Jackson or uh, Michael Floyd way back in the day. So like, I, Car- Carson comes in, he's, I, he, can, he can send it deep now. And uh, I, I'm eager to see what Ty can do. Just, just saying. Just throwing it, Ty. It, it, it's in the funny. Next we time. talked about we talked to Ty the other day, and he was asked about what well, with Carson Wentz here. Shouldn't we really expect you to be more involved in the deep passing game? And he's sort of he sort of got that you know that look in his eye. And he laughed. He said, "Can't give away too many secrets." So yeah, I, but I think that's 
That's what's been, been missing from T.Y.'s game. The numbers are crazy. The last two years compared to his first, what, six or seven, it, it's night and day on, on splice plays. And I, I think it's really going to be interesting to see how Frank maximizes talent. And he's pretty good about staying away from a player's weaknesses and maximizing strengths. And I think this receiver core has a lot of strengths to play to if, 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 if the quarterback is the right guy. Yeah, that, that, that's always the if, Mike. And it's a great point to, to, to add. I think, like, for, for, for me, if T.Y. Hilton stays healthy and if Carson Wentz stays healthy, healthy there are no more excuses for T.Y. this year. I think two years ago with Jacoby, of the things that Jacoby did well, one of them was not just shoot it deep and throw up a, uh, a go-get-it ball, and that's what Andrew did so often, Andrew Luck did so often with T.Y., um, because he believed T.Y. could get it or outrun somebody or whatever, and that just wasn't Jacoby's strong suit. It wasn't in him. I don't think it was in him mentally to throw that uh, that ball two or three times a game. And that that's not a that's not to take away from what Jacoby does well. Like I said, I, it, it's a different mindset that, of what that's the quarterback who he was, does. That's who he was, you're correct. Right. So, and then last year, uh, Philip Rivers just didn't have the arm to put it back there for for him deep frequently, often enough, uh, multiple times, a couple times a game. But, but now, like I said, the, the excuses are over. So, um, so uh, Ty will be on display, and I, I'm sure it's exactly how he wants it. So, um, we'll, we'll see what happens there. But uh, one more note from Colts camp before we get to AFC South roster turnover is that recently signed left tackle Eric Fisher is working out with trainers during Colts practice, still rehabbing from his Achilles injury. And uh, Chris Ballard uh, did leave the door open to signing Fisher to an extension after this season if things go right. Uh, he said, quote, I know it's a one-year deal, but Fisher may be the answer for the next three or four years. He's 30 years old. He likes to play. We think he's got a lot left. But, Mike, that goes back to what we were saying about five minutes ago about the cap situation. When you're pouring so much money into your offensive line, uh, you have to get really creative if you want to bring back Eric Fisher, I think, uh, down the road and have him be your left tackle of the future, quote-unquote future, maybe the next three to five years. Yeah, and again, we asked Chris that about about Fisher because he, he, he didn't leave the door open. He opened it. He's the one that opened yeah, yeah, yeah. it uh, unprompted. And I said, well, God, you're going to be paying Braden Smith, and you're already paying Ryan Kelly, you're going to be paying Quentin Nelson. He said that's a challenge, but it's a challenge we think we can do. I, it, it, I don't know what it would cost to sign Eric Fisher to an extension, I don't know, $14, 15000000 million a year. That's probably a starting point for, for, for a guy that's been to Pro Bowl two of the last three years. Uh, and it's going to depend on, you know, he, he would have to be what that what they think he's going to be or w- when they signed him. But the one thing I, I've kind of changed my approach on is with the NFL is long-term. Is he the long-term answer? I, I always thought long-term was 10 years, which is crazy. That was, that I was, I was, I was foolish. And unless you're talking to your quarterback who you just know is your long-term answer. Other than that, or or a, a Quentin Nelson, or, or or maybe Darius Leonard, long term in the NFL is four years. It just is, you know. You, you get Eric Fisher for four years, and then find your guy. Uh, just because of the turnover, and you never know what's going to happen. So the core of your team, which is probably five, six, seven guys, if you're really fortunate. The long term's different, but when you're talking again, he's thirty. What did Joe Thomas play till he was thirty-seven or thirty-eight? 
and Jason Jason Peters is still or still wants to play at 39. So it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Fisher comes in and plays well uh, for him to get an extension, and they'll find a way to make it work because you find ways to make it work when it's those premium positions, and uh, you know they, they they will make it work if they if they can. That's why ideally it would have worked in the draft. And Ballard went and he went into great detail about why it didn't work in the draft. There were only two or three legit left tackles in the draft, and none of them were there for the Colts. So Fisher could work. He was out there at practice today uh, wearing his number 79, but really with the trainers. But Ballard talked about an eight-month eight an eight-month rehab period to where you can be back after eight months. And uh, one of my good friends, Stephen Holder with The Athletic, had a really, really good story posted today, if you've got their subscription, about how Achilles injuries – are really people are coming back quicker because of the training methods and all this. So uh, I still don't think Fish will be ready for that opener, but I think he his his return will be sooner, not later. Let's get to some AFC South roster turnover. We've talked a little bit about the Colts turnover, obviously, with uh, Eric Fisher being part of that. But um, the uh, there there are a couple teams that have a, a a whole lot of players going out. We will say there's going to be some some different dudes on the field when the Colts line up against uh, some of their uh, some of their division rivals. Um, Joe, you put the Tennessee Titans uh, turnover here, and I think I think the biggest. Well, I mean, on, on both sides of the ball, the guys running around in the secondary, either quarterback safeties or wide receivers and tight ends, like the, the Titans are going to have a completely different look uh, in the secondary uh, for for this coming season, and that's. Uh, that's just uh, just one of the things that uh, that's going to be different about them this next year. Yeah, the big time turnover in the secondary and their receiving group. You look at uh, their cornerbacks; they lost Adoree Jackson, who they released, Malcolm Butler, and Desmond King. Those were basically their three starters from last year. They also uh, gave Kenny Vaccaro the boot, although he's still a free agent as of this time. Uh, Jadavion Clowney moves on, although he didn't do what they hoped he would for them last year anyway. Uh, and then on offense, Corey Davis is now with the Jets. Adam Humphrey, I think, is with the Washington football team. Johnny Smith is with the Patriots. They lost their starting right tackle, Dennis Kelly. And we've talked about Isaiah Wilson, their 2020 first-round pick. So that, that's a lot of turnover at some key positions. Um, they did make some additions to replace those players as well, mostly on the defensive side. I mean, I think an area that they probably upgraded is their pass rush. They added uh, Danico Autry, who any Colts fan should know how good he is. Uh, and then Bud Dupree from the Steelers as well is a player who can give them some pass rush off the edge. He joins Harold Landry to give them a nice little duo there. Uh, they did sign Janoris Jenkins to kind of replace that cornerback group. And then their first round pick they spent on a cornerback, Caleb Farley, as well, who is extremely talented but has those injuries concerns as we went into detail last week with um, but it's the offensive side of the ball that they didn't really quite replace uh, the players going out with the similar quality players coming in. They signed Josh Reynolds from the Rams, who is a who's been their fourth receiver for a while. A um, couple tackles, Kendall Lamb, Ty Sombreo. Uh, they did get former Colt Math- Matthias Farley, who I probably wouldn't have even mentioned if he wasn't a former Colts player. And then in the draft, they did 
round two, get a tackle, Dylan Radens. We'll see how quickly he can kind of uh, work himself into the starter role. Maybe he could start for them at right tackle and be what they hoped their 2020 first-round pick was going to be. Uh, and then I did like their third-round pick, Elijah Molden. He can kind of play that slot corner slash safety, uh, kind of play in the box near the line of scrimmage. Um, so he's a player, if he can develop quickly, would be nice in their secondary as well. But when I look at this, it's hard to say that the Titans got better. Maybe they traded water and stayed the same, at least on defense. But I think they definitely lost something on offense. Same time, Mike, uh, their strategy on offense is just to turn around and hand it to Derrick Henry every time. Then uh, you lose a couple pass catchers and they might be able to they might be willing to do that in order to build where they where they see elsewhere, I guess. I mean, but how long can you just say Derek win his games? I, I, I'm i trying to think of the last time that an offensive, that a running back had that level of, of impact over an extended time. I mean, Zeke Elliott sort of... Adrian Peterson, maybe? Yeah, yeah that's what I was yeah, thinking, either yeah. Zeke or AP. But boy, you're, you're one bad hit or one high ankle sprain away from, you know, and running backs get hurt. I mean, Derrick Henry has been the aberration. He just has been. Uh, normally, you know, as, as Joe, the non-running back, you know, guy, it, it, it Joe, uh, Joe, there, there's more to argue with Joe than against Joe on the value of running backs. Because, but, but the, the Titans are sort of saying, no, we're going to ride this horse until, <laughs> until it drops. So I agree with, with what Joe said. I, I think they've taken a step back because at some point this running game simply can't carry you. Well, and if you find yourself down two scores in the fourth quarter, you, you have to throw the football. And, I mean, they got A.J. Brown, who looks like he's a, coming into his own as an elite receiver, potentially top five guy here very soon. But then after that, I mean, we mentioned Josh Reynolds. They got Chester Rogers on the roster. Um, maybe he can work the slot a little bit. Fourth round pick, Des Fitzpatrick out of Louisville. Uh, there's just not a lot after A.J. Brown. So really, if you got to worry about two guys on the Titans offense, A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry. And those are two guys who will keep you up for night all night, that's for sure. But other than that, they don't have a lot of those secondary options that helped them win games last year. Let's go to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Not too many subtractions. I mean, Keelan Cole, Chris Conley, and Al Woods are the three that, Joe, you have listed here. The, uh, the deal with them is certainly much more so their, their additions uh, in this, uh, this offseason. <laughs> Urban Meyer at head coach. There goes Mike Chappell's uh, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> the UFO coming in. I love it. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, Daryl Bevel at offensive coordinator. Joe Cullen at, at defensive coordinator. So obviously it's an entire new system. It's a big draft class for them that they, I'm sure, hope will pay big dividends in the future. Um, so th those are the big additions for them. And even a couple free agents that Marvin Jones has been an underrated receiver for Detroit for a while. Shaquille Griffin's been in the secondary for Seattle. So they certainly, it, it looks like, Joe, I, I would think that um, if you said that you're not sure if the Titans got better this offseason, I think it's pretty obvious the Jaguars, if strictly on paper, look better this next year than they did last year. Jaguars look like they're at least like four games better, in my opinion. I mean, <laughs> it, 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 Trevor Lawrence is going to make all the difference with that football team. Um, they signed some quality free agents, as you mentioned. Um, we'll see what they do with the rest of their draft. We kind of went in depth about that last week. I see all the reports about how they're playing Travis Etienne at wide receiver. 
I'm not sure how wise of an idea that is, but I, I, I guess we'll see Urban Meyer coming in, doing his own thing. Um, but yeah, the Jaguars clearly are a better team. They'll be far less of a pushover as they have been in the past. And for the Colts, they haven't even been a pushover. Their one win came against Indianapolis last year, and now they look even better. So um, the bottom of the division, or at least Jacksonville, we'll say anyway, the, the bottom of the division is now Houston. We can talk about them next, but Jacksonville improved. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, let's let's get right to Houston because where I know we are running out of time. We don't need to hear too much about Jacksonville right now. Jacksonville is always Jacksonville until they prove otherwise. It's kind of like Paris Campbell <laughs> is like injury prone, quote unquote. Even though that's the term, like I said, I don't like until you prove otherwise. So, uh, but but I but I agree. They they certainly look better. Houston, on the other hand, looks worse. There's subtractions. You look at Will Fuller, Nick Martin on the offensive side of the ball, Duke Johnson as well, Darren Fells, a lot of guys who had an impact uh, on that side that are no longer playing. And who knows about Deshaun Watson? I know you put a question mark here by him, Joe. And like uh, like Chap has said, I like I don't I don't want to touch that situation with a ten foot pole right now because I just don't know what's going to happen for the start of the year. It doesn't look great right now, but uh, but. But, Houston's but brought we'll in like that. five yeah. quarterbacks. Exactly, so. and that's the thing that that'll point you in the direction like they're not sure either. Like that, that's the logical thing that that we should think is who knows because you bring in Tyrod Taylor, Jeff Driscoll, you you get a um, a quarterback in the draft and Davis Mills, um, Mike. It, it appears that just with the the sheer amount of players they're bringing in there, they they don't know what's going on either this off season. It's crazy. I- I lost track during the offseason of the players they signed. And what it looked like they did is they addressed the bottom of the roster. They were bringing in guys who are going to be fighting for positions 40 to 53 with some of these, you know, mid-range veterans. Mark Ingram's better than that. I I wouldn't put him in there. But I'm not sure any team has had more roster turnover than what they've done. They've gotten rid of established players. And, again, Deshaun, we don't know, and we'll see. But J.J. Watt's gone. And they brought in guys that, that have have been sort of, you know, I say roster fillers, but they've taken so many steps back. And we're going we're gonna to see very quickly. Let's just say worst case that Watson's not there. We're going to see how far back, I'm talking in years, that instability, unst- un- instability at quarterback sets you back. Uh, they, they've who's their starter? Tyrod Taylor. I mean, who? Uh, so I, I just wonder how competitive they're going to be. And again, like Joe's mentioned, we've talked about should have beat these guys twice last year with Deshaun Watson, but uh, they look to be pretty firm in the basement of the AFC South right now. And also new head coach. Go ahead. Go ahead, Joe. I was going to say Houston, we've talked in years past about how they have those elite players and then the rest of the rest, rest of the roster is not very good. You know, we talked about Sean Watson, DeAndre Hopkins, J.J. Watt, Clowney. And then after that, it was kind of meh. They're almost like the opposite now. They signed a bunch of okay to maybe slightly above average players. Marcus Cannon's an upgrade at right tackle. Ling Taylor can play card. Philip Lindsay's in that backfield now, also with uh, David Johnson. Um, Shaq Lawson. I mean, I could go through a bunch of solid to okay players, but they don't have any of those elite difference makers anymore, especially if Deshaun Watson is gone. So it almost looks like a 
kind of like a culture reset. Let's just get as many new faces in here as possible and just start over like a, almost like an expansion team or something. An expansion team without draft capital, which is even worse. Um, but they're completely hitting the reset button, button and starting over. And you get a new uh, coaching staff to, to throw in there, too. Dave Culley, head coach, along with D.C., Lovey Smith, and O.C., Tim Kelly. So, uh, yeah, uh, resetting things in Houston. And so there's a whole lot we don't – there's more that we don't know than, than what we know with what the Texans will give this year, which is why, of course, you pick them uh, probably closer to the bottom of the division. So uh, we've obviously talked about the Colts throughout our many Colts Blue Zone podcasts here, but uh, touching on them before we wrap up for, for the day – um, quarterbacks, Jacoby uh, Brissett and Phillip Rivers out. Left tackle, Anthony Costanzo, a pair of defensive ends, Justin Houston, Danico Autry, along with linebacker Anthony Walker. Um, you, you look at who fills those spots, chap, and, and I, I think it's um, like you bring in, you obviously, they, they met those, those holes. They, they tried to fill each of those holes, linebacker specifically just with Bobby Okariki taking more, taking more responsibility, so he was already on the roster, but those other holes at the edge, at tackle, at quarterback, they're filled. It's a matter of um, do those guys perform in a better manner. And, of course, that, that starts with the quarterback. And, and all you can say now is you don't know. Right. You hope. I mean, it, and all of those really have to happen. You know, Carson Wentz needs to at least at least be Phillip Rivers. As much criticism early on that Rivers got, he was, he was pretty good last year. Uh, but Wentz, there, there cannot be a drop-off at quarterback. At left tackle, there's going to be a drop-off until Fisher gets back out there and gets his feet under him. There's going to be a drop-off at edge pass rusher until Pay gets out there and shows he can give you, what I don't know, what's realistic, 8, 10, 12 sacks. You'd take 10 sacks from Pay and not, and not think twice. So and I, I, it, it sounds like a complete slap, but I, I don't mean it to be too much. But Bobby Okariki is going to be an upgrade over Walker. He just is. He's just more athletic and gives him more range. But right now, at, at the positions that they had to replace, and you could almost put T.Y. Hilton in that group as far as additions because they brought him back as opposed to seeking out an outside answer. You simply don't know if they were right. Now, again, we talked about they they addressed, they addressed the positions, but were they right? Going through here, guys, which uh, which team do you think is most improved in the division? And obviously, the Texans are <laughs> the, the 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 team that got worse this off season. You know, I look at the Colts, and I almost feel the same way about them as the Titans in the range that they repl- they lost some key players, they gained some key players, but I'm not sure how much better they got in the process. We'll we'll have to see. There's a lot of question marks and unknowns. If I had to pick one personally, I'll start here. I would say the most improved team is the Jaguars. I think it's impo- it's not impossible. That's the wrong word. You can say the Colts maybe if you have more faith in Carson Wentz. And I have some faith in Carson Wentz. But it's it's hard for me to put the Colts above what the Jaguars have done this offseason just because I think there's a lot more questions with what the Colts have brought in. Like, you had some established guys – in on the defensive side in Houston and Autry who could get the quarterback you knew they could get the quarterback I don't know if Quiddy Pay can rush the quarterback I just don't know because um, he's never done it before um, and you can say the same thing about the Jaguars with their draft class with someone like Trevor Lawrence but I think he's a lot more of a sure thing than Quiddy Pay is that's why he went number one overall that's why Pay fell to later in the first round 
So, like, I, I was certainly lean toward the Jaguars, but that that's that doesn't mean I, I'm not bullish on what the Colts have done this offseason, too. I think there's great potential for them to obviously be better than they were last year, hinging on Carson Wentz. Yeah, saying. but high ceiling moves the Colts yes, made. Yes, I think so. Um, but I, I also think there's a floor that they they will hit early in the year if they're trying to get these rookies up to speed. Well, and, you know, to Joe's questions, which team got better? Well, it's Jacksonville because they had because they were terrible to get better. Yeah. And I, I just warn everybody not not warn, but just to point out, Peyton Manning was three and thirteen as a rookie with with with, with a darn good offense around him. So it simply takes time. Of course, then, then things took off in year two. But for the team, as, as much as the Colts are dependent to me, their whole season rides on Carson Wentz being pre-2020 Carson Wentz. Jacksonville has got – they had to have, they've got to have been right with Trevor Lawrence and everything. I didn't see anything leading up to the draft where anybody said, you know, despite all the hype, Maybe this guy isn't that good. I don't. I didn't get even a sniff of that. But it's going to take even a great number one overall quarterback to get things turned around when a franchise was as far down as Jacksonville was. And that has been a lengthy Colts Blue Zone podcast. We do thank you for listening start to finish. Please download, subscribe to get us delivered to your podcast listening device every week. And also follow us on Twitter. Get Colts news that way as well, at Colts Blue Zone. I am at Dave G underscore sports. Mike Chappell is at M Chappell 51. Joe Hopkins is at Roto Street Joe. And we together form the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. 